Governor Bill Lee says he will call a special session in August and a conversation with Democratic Party Chair Mary Mancini. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of June 17th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. All right, Natalie, the big news this week obviously was uh, came over the weekend, actually. Uh, neither one of us were there for it per se, but we were able to catch up afterwards. And you wrote a story about Governor Bill Lee's uh, most significant news, I guess, out of the Republican Party dinner. What was it? Yeah, well, for the record, I was there. I was just late. I missed the, the governor's actual announcement that he is going to call a special session to be held likely in mid to late August for the House of Representatives to elect a new speaker to replace uh, outgoing speaker Glenn Cassida. He has said he will resign August 2nd. Um, but he, the governor announced this before the start of the, the GOP's annual statesman's dinner. This year it was held at Opryland. Um, and essentially each year there is like a press avail in which reporters can talk to the governor and and this year there was Marsha Blackburn and and Lamar Alexander from the U.S. Senate and uh, Todd Young. He was a keynote speaker, so an opportunity for reporters to ask them questions ahead of it. Um, and the governor used that as his opportunity to say he had finally made a decision on whether he would call a special special session, which is something that he he even a few days before that said he was still uh, unsure about. It was an interesting decision to do it then because it really did change the sort of conversation and the coverage of the Republican Party dinner. Generally speaking, this is the time that the party gets together and touts its accomplishments, uh, doesn't try to focus on the negative things, but this just re, uh, you know, up the the conversation on the Glenn Cassida distraction uh, that it's become. And suddenly now, you know, news stories went from being about how uh, the, the gubernatorial can or uh, U.S. Senate candidates that were there or the uh, new governor were there touting their uh, accomplishments from the last five months in office. And now all of a sudden to once again, rehashing this uh, sort of nightmare scenario for the Republican Party. Yeah. I mean, I, I got there late um, and was was in the room for for, for most of the dinner, I heard multiple times between the videos they were showing and, and Scott Golden, chair of the party, standing on stage talking and others, uh, multiple times them used this line that 2018 was, what, the most successful year the Tennessee Republican Party has ever seen. They're, of course, referring to, um, you know, their their accomplishments and, and elections they won and, and uh, how that led up to their successes this year in the legislature. Um, not counting the fact that the, the House Speaker is, is on his way out. Um, but but that was really what they wanted to convey through this, their successes and how well the party is doing, you know, just, what, eight years removed from from taking over as a supermajority. Um, and they did want to tout their accomplishments. And as you pointed out to me earlier, there really wasn't a lot of coverage of that dinner. You had some of the Capitol Press Corps reporters writing about the governor's announcement and then not really staying to cover the rest of the dinner. And of course, uh, Cassidy was there as well, it appeared, but um, didn't appear to take any questions. Nobody really uh, got a statement from him. He's been kind of quiet since um, he returned from this European trip. Yeah, I think he, he laid low uh, at the, the dinner itself. I, I was not able to spot him in the crowd. I did I did see his, his bodyguard standing in the back for most of the dinner. So despite the fact that the governor has indicated he will call a special session, we don't know a lot of things still. Natalie, give a summation of what some of those questions are. 
Well, uh, first of all, we still don't know when this is going to be. So the governor has said he he intends for this to take place mid to late August. Um, but we'll see what happens, right? He's he's going to be in Asia all of this week. His, his staff and and House leadership and the legislature are working together to try to iron out dates. They're, they're going to be working around NCSL. Uh, the governor's office is also uh, sponsoring a new conference this year. It's called Rural Opportunities. Uh, we don't know much about that, but that's also going to be happening in early to mid-August. So they're going to be working around that. Uh, some other questions is what exactly will be the official purpose of the special special session. So the governor, uh, from what the way we understand it, can't just call them back to elect a new speaker. Um, essentially, it seems like the House could have done that if they had um, gotten two-thirds of members of both chambers to call the special session. But in this case, if the governor's calling it, the way we understand it is that they have to have some kind of specific legislative intent. So that would mean taking up some kind of bill um, out of session. So we, we've heard that the updating um, some resolutions that were passed in the Senate to change the court rules weren't passed in the House this session, that that could be um, on the agenda. They still haven't said specifically what, though. I think another question is just the fact that the, the speaker has said himself that he would resign on August 2nd. If the governor doesn't call this until late August, per, let's say, then that means that there is an interim speaker for a two to three week period. So one would logically ask, why is a special session needed then? Uh, you know, couldn't that interim uh, 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 speaker, Bill Dunn in this case, be the speaker until January when the legislature reconvenes, uh, which, again, raises questions about just the finances of this? Because from we, what we understand, it'll cost upwards of 40 some thousand dollars a day for a session. Yeah. And, and what you just said is the argument that some people who are against having a special session have have tried to explain that, you know, why can't they, they sit in place until January, sure, have a, a caucus meeting sometime this fall to determine who that um, speaker designate would be, and and then just continue working with Bill Dunn in the meantime. Um, House leadership, um, I think even the governor too, have all said they think it's important for the House to move forward officially with with the new speaker determined um, and that all set in place. So that's the answer they're giving, that they think that there needs to be some kind of official resolution taking place and not this this limbo of who's going to actually run the House. And of course, the other uh, main storyline out of this dinner was the presence of U.S. Senate candidates. Of course, Bill Haslam, uh, the former governor, is is mulling a bid. Uh, from what I understand, Bill Haggerty, the ambassador to Japan, uh, was there as well. And Manny Sethi, the uh, only top tier Republican candidate in the race so far, uh, all kind of, you know, jockeying for position. Uh, so that that next year will be a little bit of a, a more focused uh, centerpiece of the annual fundraiser, but this year it was just kind of the uh, wait and see and he, who gets in. So, uh, and, and one thing to note is Governor Haslam uh, did say he would decide within the next three weeks, but uh, if I were listeners out there, I wouldn't hold my breath because I've heard him say that since he left office in January. Yeah, he said three months and then that's six months and we've, we've passed or we're passing that mark at this point. So, uh, yeah, that, let's not hold our breath. We will see. Um, just a, a quick program 
programming note on this uh, next segment uh, that we're going to show uh, is a conversation with uh, Democratic Party Chair Mary Mancini. Uh, she discusses everything from from House Speaker Glenn Cassidy's ongoing uh, situation to their upcoming, the party's upcoming fundraiser uh, that will be this weekend. Uh, but we recorded that conversation with Mancini prior to Governor Bill Lee's announcement about the special session. So if there are any timing questions, that's the reason. This week on the podcast, we have Mary Mancini. She's the chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party. She's been on before, but she's back again to talk about the upcoming three-star dinner, which is a big fundraiser for the state party, as well as what the future is for Democrats in Tennessee. Mary, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So there is a, I guess, a fairly big name guest coming to the three-star dinner this year. Tell us a little bit about uh, who's going to be there. So our keynote speaker is Kirsten Cinema. She is the Democratic U.S. Senator from Arizona. And uh, we, we're so excited to have her. Uh, but we also have some other folks that are um, that are going to be showing up. Jim Cooper is going to be there to welcome everybody. Um, we are actually giving an award to our state legislators, Democratic House Caucus and the Senate Caucus, uh, for all their hard work this, elect, this, well, for a long time, but especially this past session. And um, James Mackler, our U.S. Senate candidate, is going to also be on the program. So we're really excited about it. But but uh, Senator Cinema was gracious enough to agree to come here and do the event. And, you know, she's a really great uh, a spokesperson for Democratic Party uh, values. She really embodies the entire set of our values in one person. Uh, and she won uh, statewide in a, in a fairly difficult state. So we're excited um, to hear her and hear her message. She comes after you, of course, had Doug Jones on previously, who uh, also kind of fits that role, right? He won a very close uh, race uh, in, in a, I guess, a, a state similar to Tennessee in some capacities. Um, how much money do you guys expect to raise out of this this latest event, and how many tickets do you normally sell for it? So we usually have about 700 to 1,000 folks. Uh, last year, we had um, over 800, almost 900. Uh, this year, we'll probably get close to that, um, but not probably. It, it'll probably be a little bit less uh, than that. Uh, you know, these kinds of... Um, we, we say there are no off years. There are no off years in, in Democratic politics in Tennessee. Uh, but for events like this, especially when it comes at a time when there's so much, so many other things going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we expect to raise probably about 300000 off of this one event. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, Republicans, their event is kind of seen as an off year, right? Like they, they don't have a ton of gubernatorial candidates. They don't have uh, at least many announced U.S. Senate candidates. Um, why do you guys have a different view of it? You know, well, is it because, because there's always, this is an uphill battle? No, oh. <laughs> um, no, because the work that we are doing to elect well, let's take a step back, right? Sure. So we believe that when um, there's balance in a legislative body, which there isn't right now at the state legislature, uh, when there, when we have more Democrats actually talking about the issues that matter to the people of Tennessee, education, healthcare, the um, opioid addiction crisis, uh, infrastructure that's lacking in some places, jobs that are lacking in many, many places, um, you know, we feel that we need to work uh 
um, you know, 365 days a year, 24-7 to elect more Democrats because of that. So that's that's kind of what I mean. Plus, there's also municipal elections, right, and county elections that are going on right now all over the state, judicial elections that we're preparing for. Uh, and, you know, it's... it's um, these are elections that, uh, you know, very often there are Republican incumbents that have been doing the job at the county or local level for decades, and they're not really, they're focused on things that, that don't really matter, right? And, um, and so things like uh, infrastructure and, and jobs and education and healthcare and rural hospitals closing are going by the wayside. So we're working to elect Democrats at, at every level. And, and so that's the reason why. You bring up a point that we actually just talked to, to Michael Sullivan about. Uh, it seems like you guys are sort of borrowing from their playbook uh, where you're trying to get at the, the grassroots. At least that's what he had said. Oh, that's uh, so funny. <laughs> you know, it's, he, th- that's really funny because they didn't invent this playbook, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just the way you're supposed to be doing things. And um, uh, it's... Uh, it matters what happens at the the local level, and you know if we may have gotten away from that um, in the past twenty or thirty years. So it's just time that we get back to doing that, and, and that's what we've been doing since you know for the last five years or so is just sort of making it that making it uh, uh, you know building up our county parties, right? Making sure that our county parties are functioning, uh, firing on all cylinders, helping us recruit candidates at every level. Um, you know, working hard to hold accountable the elected officials that are there, uh, and it's it's just something that 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 we're getting back to. I mean, that you know, all politics is local. Um, Michael Sullivan didn't make that up. Sorry, dude. <laughs> let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about uh, the 2020 U.S. Senate race we have coming up here in Tennessee. Yeah, uh, another another statewide race. Um, Twenty the 2018 Bredesen Blackburn race was was close, right? And uh, it was seen as as Democrats shot to maybe get you know that Senate seat. Uh, Phil Bredesen had, of course, won statewide office before. He was popular, but ultimately he didn't he didn't quite have enough to get there. Uh, how are you guys looking at this upcoming race uh, with with U.S. Senate, knowing that, you know, you, you probably aren't going to have another Phil Bredesen in the race? So what what do you guys do? Do you take it as seriously as the last Absolutely. One? Absolutely. I mean, things change very quick. Well, let, so things can change very quickly in politics and in the, with the electorate. Um, they can also change very slowly with the electorate. And uh, we we don't know what's going to happen in Tennessee. Um, a lot of it depends on what happens at the national level um, and at the state level. Uh, but this is an opportunity. Every election is an opportunity for us. And we have an amazing candidate in James Mackler who I know, I mean, I travel around the state a lot, and I see him everywhere, you know, um, and and I'm sure he does even more than I see because I'm I sometimes have to be at the office occasionally, you know, and he doesn't. So um, he is just uh, he's just working hard and connecting with people and and talking to voters, and um, the opportunity is that for the first time. Uh, well, let me let me put it this way. Every opportunity is an opportunity for Democrats to make the case to voters as to why they should uh, pull the lever for a Democrat. Uh, and James makes uh, an excellent case of why people should, um, you know, uh, 
mark the ballot for for him. And he, and again, he started early and he's working hard. And it's an opportunity that 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 we see, and we're excited about it. Is there any chance that he's going to have a primary challenger? I know what the other the other week in Murray County, you had him speaking, and you had Christopher Hale speaking there. I mean, is there a chance that someone else gets in the race to challenge him? Sure. What do you have any? Are you looking for a scoop? Like, no, do you have any thoughts on <laughs> I don't know of anybody. How likely is that? I mean, it seems like you're talking about him like he's safely the Democratic nominee. Uh, no, he, no, he's the only Democratic nominee at this point. That's why, right? And, and if there's someone else that decides to get into the race, well, then that's, you know, what happens. Um, but right now he's the only one that's declared and he's a great candidate. So, but, but here's the thing, we have a strong, Democrats have a strong bench. You know, if you look around and look at um, mayors around uh, the state, we have a strong uh, bench of mayors. We have a strong bench of city council folks and county commissioners and, um, you know, people that are, um, uh, haven't that aren't elected, right? That could jump in the race too. So uh, we just kind of take it one day at a time. But you know, here's the thing: like, are we are we just not supposed to talk about how great a candidate James Mackler is because of the 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 idea that maybe somebody else will get in the race? No, we're not going to. I'm not going to do that. You know, it's it's a, he's a great candidate and he's going to be a formidable opponent to whoever the Republican is if he ends up being the nominee. Of course, it's going to take a lot of money. Uh, the race in general, I would anticipate nowhere near as much as it took in 2018. But do you guys have any ballpark figures or estimates that you expect? You know, it's going to take X amount to be competitive in this race. I, I, do, I don't have any ballpark figure. I, I do. I can tell you that, um, you know, the Democratic Party uh, is a party that believes that money that the, this amount, the, the amounts of money that are spent in these kinds of campaigns is obscene. And we need to take get that money out of politics. Um, it, 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 you know, first of all, once a certain amount is spent at an at a, a level, there are diminishing returns, right? And people are just sort of pouring money and millions of dollars into into a race sometimes when it's not necessary. Mm. Um, but the other thing is 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 it makes the the the, the playing field um, or the elections um, unobtainable for uh, normal people, right? Like. You know, we end up looking for people that have money that can self-fund or dump a whole bunch of money into the race on their own. Um, and it's untenable for, for just, you know, good people that want to get into public service to sometimes take that leap. So, uh, no, I don't have any idea. I can know. I do know that it's going to be competitive um, regardless, because, again, I think Tennessee, some Tennesseans are looking for an alternative to what they're seeing at the national level from Republicans. Uh, we wanted to move to uh, discuss another matter. Uh, <laughs> what is it? I'm so excited. State House related. Oh, uh, yes. As you know, uh, House Speaker Glenn Cassida is still the House Speaker as of this recording. Uh, that could change any moment. Maybe uh, this <laughs> ongoing thing seems well. to always be uh, updating and developing. But um, he's given an August 2nd resignation date, it appears. Um, some people have said, you know, that's too far away. Others have said, no, actually, we, you know, some in the party, there's been suggestion the Democratic Party might want him around to have him to kick <laughs> around. Um, what would you like to see? Do you think that, that Speaker Cassida should resign right now? Yes, not only from the speakership, but he should resign from the state house. I, there is, uh, look, you know, when you're elected, um, 
you're elected to represent your district. Uh, you become a, um, you know, a, uh, someone who represents the voters of Tennessee. And what we've seen from Glenn Cassida is someone who um, does not uh, value and does not respect uh, certain people that live here. You know, communities of color, um, women. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. And uh, businesses, you know, I mean, it, it's basically the way he ran the state house and the way he uh, ran the Republican Party, the Republican caucus at the state house was all about Glenn Cassida, um, his playground that he created up there, and uh, for him and his uh, cronies, um, no accountability. And, uh, you know, that's just not the way to be an elected official. Um, he should be gone. He should be gone from the speaker. And, and, you know, the fact that he can, here's the thing that's so crazy making about this, is the fact that he could draw this out, uh, that he wasn't that he wasn't gone once all of this came out. And he said, I'm going to take a vacation first. Shame on Bill Lee for not putting any pressure on him to do that. Shame on the other members of his caucus for allowing him to go on vacation without resigning. Now he's dragging it out even further to, to oh, okay, I set a date to August 2nd. How shame on the Republicans, shame Why? on Bill Lee. Why is he doing that? Do you think? I mean, I think there's, I, I think that's a really good question for him, but you know, it's about continuing to wield his power behind the scenes and trying to, you know, he's back from his vacation now and now he's got two weeks or however many, no, more than two weeks, two months to sort of, you know, set up you know, Shadow Cassida, right, to set up and to work behind the scenes. And this is, again, the reason why he should be gone. He pollutes the culture of, at the Capitol. Um, this is a place where they should be doing the people's business, and instead they're doing things like um, framing activists, right? <laughs> they're, they're doing things like sending uh, drinking and, and snorting cocaine in uh, at the state Capitol. I mean, this it's insane what the culture that he has created and the fact that there are still Republicans in the House caucus that support him is, is unconscionable. I, w I wanted to ask you about a statement you made on, on May 7th, uh, the day after sort of the, the big news about the, the text messages, Kate, Kate resigns May 6th, mm -hmm. uh, day after you issued a statement where you said that Bill, Governor Bill Lee's first response was a, quote, feeble statement and how elected leaders get branded as moral cowards. Since then, how would you rate the governor's handling of this entire ordeal? He's, it, he, it's terrible. He's still a moral coward, right? He still has... He, look, here's Bill Lee, right? This is what Bill Lee does. Um, something happens, they, people ask his opinion, and then he brushes it off, doesn't answer, and waits two weeks for the polling to come back before he gives an actual answer. If that's not the reality, that's the perception, Right. He 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 does not. I mean, this is this is someone who's supposed to be a moral leader. Right. I mean, he got elected uh, partly because of uh, the Christian Christian values that he touts. Right. Um, he should have looked at Glenn Cassida and everything that was coming out, how the. Uh, the taxpayers of Tennessee, uh, how the tax dollars that we spend have been used uh, in a way to prop up uh, Glenn Cassidy's own um, uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? His his own uh, um, fiefdom, his kingdom, right there, his own power, um, and he should have said from the very beginning, like this this person's got to go, right? And he just he just takes too long to make those decisions. So you know, to me, yes, that's how a leader gets branded uh, as a moral coward. Mary, you said that Republican support of Glenn Casta, in spite of everything that's happened, is unconscionable. Um, do you think it's outside the realm of possibility that there are still Democrats who are supporting him? Uh, clearly, there were Democrats this session who were um, bigger supporters of Cassida than than some of the others. Um, you know, there were some appointed to committees and there were some who uh, were hesitant to ever speak out on his handling of issues like David Byrd or, um, you know, others, other news that broke along the way. And, and from what I've heard, I, I don't think every member of the House Democratic Caucus um, you know, was vocal about saying he needed to step down. I mean, you saw the Black Caucus. They had to meet for six hours uh, before they could decide that they wanted him to resign. And even after that, uh, G.A. Hardaway said that he, he, he wouldn't confirm that it was a unanimous vote. He, he wouldn't say, you know, how many people voted which way. Um, do you think that that's possible? And if so, is that concerning to you? Um, sure. You know, I think it's a question that um, is better asked to the House caucus, um, to the House caucus chair, the House caucus leader, um, to the leader of the Black caucus. Uh, you know, I can't I can't answer for them. Um, it's just not a question that I can answer. You know, I mean, I, I sitting as the chair of the Democratic Party, I see and listen to um, voters all over the state. Uh, and I see what Glenn Cassidy is doing. And it is um, extraordinarily concerning that uh, the people who actually have the power to remove him, which are his own people, um, you know, uh, they should be the ones that are actually pushing for him to go. That's That to me is where the conflict comes in, right? So the the power center is... It, with the Republicans right now at the state legislature, they could all get together and they could decide, look, dude, you got to you got to not just you got to resign now. Right. The governor could make that call. The governor can uh, be a leader um, and say that uh, that's where all the power is. And that's those are the people that can can do it and cannot do it. I mean, you know, look, there's so many there's so many um, people in this state that uh, that don't look like Glenn Cassida, that don't look like Bill Lee, um, that are feel that feel as if uh, the state, the Tennessee state legislature, um, is not working for them. And the reality is, is that they're not. Do you uh, do you think there should be a special session to resolve this matter with the speaker? No, I, I, it's, it doesn't need to be a special session to resolve this matter with the speaker. He just needs to go. He just needs to go. I mean, it, it's again, you know, what this is doing, this is the the literally he said, I'm going on vacation before I resign. That should have been unacceptable from from the get go. Right. To to anybody up there. And um, they let him do it. 
right? And then he comes back and he says, well, I'm going to resign on August 2nd instead of this day. These are all delay tactics. This is all a way in which he he thought he was going to go to Greece and then come back and everything was going to blow over. Well, guess what? It didn't. Now he's saying, I want to do this on August 2nd. Uh, I want to resign on August 2nd, which gives him enough time to manipulate behind the scenes to get someone that he wants. Look, we all know he's really good at this, to get someone that he wants to be, again, the shadow speaker, the shadow Cassida, right? Someone that he can manipulate from behind the scenes. They should not, the Republicans and Bill Lee should not be allowing him to do that. So as we look to wrap up here, um, what's what's sort of the next phase for the party in 2020? I mean, we saw a recent Vanderbilt poll uh, that showed a, 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 a Trump, uh, the president, is increasingly popular still in Tennessee, despite all of the Mueller investigation, despite the, the ongoing issue with tariffs, despite, you know, other issues. Uh, he still remains popular. 54 percent. Yeah. Like, how, what they does, found, yeah. How, how does the Tennessee Democratic Party begin to make headway uh, in Tennessee? Well, look, we have made headway, right? I think people are, are they kind of forget the things that have happened over the last two election cycles because everybody concentrates at the top on the top line, right? The reality is, is we flipped a state house seat in 2016. We flipped two state house seats in 2018. And we came really, really close on many, many others, right? So when and if you look at the number of people at the state level, the state legislature, legislative level that are voting for Republicans, it, then that number is going down. And the number that are voting for Democrats is going up, right? So things are changing. Um, and so we just need to continue to, uh, to as, as we move into this 2020 election cycle, um, continue to, to recruit great candidates, as many candidates as we can, um, to uh, give our county parties the tools that they need to do grassroots organizing, um, to continue to, uh, you know, work with activists on the issues that matter, like education and healthcare, um, and, uh, and um, you know, the opioid crisis and infrastructure building, like these are issues that really matter, jobs, right, the economy. Um, but the most important thing is that right now we have an opportunity uh, to make the case for voters. Yes, Donald Trump's approval ratings are still at 54%, right? But they were much higher when he got elected. So what that means is that there's a lot of people that are now turning against the Republican Party and turning against him that we actually have the opportunity now to make the case to. So that's what I'm saying is we have the opportunity. Democrats have to go out and talk to voters and say, OK, here is your here is your alternative to voting for Republicans. It's to vo for voting for Democrats. And here's why. And so we'll continue to make that case um, as the next uh, as we go into as we get done with this year and go into 2020. And what role will the Casca scandal play in, in the 2020 elections? Well, look, I mean, here's the thing. Like we we to us, um, it's a big deal. Right. And uh, and so it may play a role with some voters. Um, but the reality is, is that there's a lot of other voters who are like, I first of all, they may not know about it. Right. Um, or they may not care about it because they're struggling to put food on their table. Right. Like they're having to make a decision between fixing the transmission in their car. Right. Or buying groceries that week or buying medication that week, right? We've got 13 rural hospitals across the state that have closed. So, um, you know, they want to know that there's going to be an education opportunity in their area um, for their children 
that fits their vision for a better future, right? Whatever that looks like, right? Whether that's apprenticeship programs or, um, you know, techno- tech, uh, technological college or whatever it is, like healthcare, education, infrastructure. Um, the school to prison pipeline is another huge one that's affecting areas in, um, you know, urban the urban core of, of our cities, right? So like, this is a bigger issue than Glenn uh, Cassida. Um, that's what they're concerned about. Uh, it may have an impact, though, because what it shows is that the leader of the Republican Party at the state house does not care about every Tennessean. He cares about a certain group of Tennesseans. And there's a lot more people out there. Um, there's women, communities of color, um, you know, activists. I mean, it's just it goes on and on and on. Uh, and his actions show he doesn't that he discounts them. He makes fun of them. He degrades them. He doesn't care about them. So um, and that's who he surrounds himself with. So, yes, it may have an impact in that way. Uh, but the reality is, is we've got to go in and talk to voters about the issues that are affecting them in their community. Well, thank you again for coming on. Mary Mancini, chair of the Tennessee Democratic Party. Thank you for having me. And now it's time for the notebook dump. Here's some other stuff that's gone on this week that we haven't mentioned on the podcast so far today. Uh, Glenn Barber, a longtime legislative employee, he was known by most everyone who worked in the building, passed away suddenly last week. He was 65. House Democrat Harold Love of Nashville was essentially vindicated by campaign finance officials last week when he showed up at the Registry of Election Finance latest meeting. The audit of his campaign finances from 2016 showed that he had spent money on campaign money on many questionable purchases. But when Love showed up at the registry meeting, he explained many of them away, saying most of the purchases were for constituents. Uh, It led to a process that ultimately led uh, to many members on the board saying that they were satisfied with Love's explanation and that they indicated they would let him off the hook in a future meeting. Coffee County District Attorney Craig Northcott is under investigation by the state Supreme Court's Board of Professional Responsibility. This comes after CARE, one of the the nation's largest uh, Muslim advocate organizations, filed a complaint with the board over Northcott's um, comments that he made on Facebook about Islam being a violent religion, uh, not being seen as a legitimate religion. Uh, He also has faced scrutiny after uh, a video surfaced in which he told a group of pastors that he would not prosecute uh, domestic violence charges involving same-sex couples. Governor Bill Lee addressed the matter this past week when he was asked about it by a reporter, uh, saying that he was not prepared to call on Northcott to resign. He wanted to find out more about the outcome of the Board of Professional Responsibilities investigation. This week, Governor Bill Lee is on his first international trade trip. He's headed to South Korea and Japan, where he and Economic and Community Development Commissioner Bob Rolfe will try and bolster the relationship between Tennessee and companies from those two countries. After a two-year-old died recently at Cummins Falls State Park due to floodwaters carrying the child away near the gorge, the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation says it is essentially studying what went wrong and developing an action plan for how it can prevent future deaths at the park, which has only been open uh, eight or nine years. Uh, there were a couple people who died a few years ago as well. 
the the park has closed its falls area and gorge until they can put these new plants in place, but it's also working on um, immediately installing a water flow monitoring system. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. Uh, quick programming note, we may or may not be back next week. We are still scheduling things and also trying to plan some vacations. So if we're not back, please forgive us and uh, stay tuned uh, in the following week when we should be back with a new episode. As always, you can find us on iTunes every Tuesday or wherever you get your podcast. Erica Whitney and John Garcia continue to produce this podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. Please engage with us there or continue to rate us on iTunes. Uh, as usual, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Eber. And I'm Natalie Allison. 